0: Welcome to the Path to Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Wes Barefoot, where it's my mission to help aspiring entrepreneurs and existing business owners take control of their lives and create freedom for themselves through business ownership. Each episode, I'll be exploring the strategies and tactics of other successful entrepreneurs that have created freedom in their own lives while sharing what I'm learning along my own path to freedom. I'm glad you're here. Let's drop in. Hey, what's up, Pat the Freedom listeners, and thank you for dropping into another episode. This is episode 116, and I'm joined today by Patrick Grimes. Patrick is the founder and CEO of Invest on Main Street, an alternative investment firm where they specialize in passive investments for multifamily real estate. They've got some investment opportunities in the oil and gas space as well, which Patrick does a really good job of kind of explaining, you know, how they go about that. But you know, Patrick's background is, you know, largely in real estate investing. He learned some hard lessons, you know, back during the 08, 09 time frame. And, you know, since then, his mission has been to, you know, create a platform where other successful people can, you know, put their money to work in a way that, you know, they're going to have more control over it, but also get better returns than, you know, the, the traditional options that you find via Wall Street, right? And, you know, 401ks and IRAs. So, you know, this is a topic that I'm personally very interested in, right? You know, as you get to a certain point and you have money to invest, you know, people are always looking for ways to put their money to work for them. And, you know, you guys know me, I talk a lot about business ownership and the benefits that can come with that. You know, we own businesses and, you know, that creates a lot of financial resources for us, fortunately. But you get to a point where you just don't have any more time you know, to to dedicate to starting another business, right? And you guys have heard me say so many times that business ownership is never passive, right? Even when we talk franchising, and there's different types of franchise models out there in terms of the ownership profile, and there are some that are less in time intensive for the franchise owner than others. That's how the model's designed. But at the end of the day, none of them Are going to be truly passive, especially in the beginning. So, you know, for even for business owners, you know, having these smart passive income opportunities where you can put your money to work and grow your money, I think is very important. And, you know, there's a lot of different ways that one can go about doing that outside of traditional investment opportunities. So that's what Patrick and his team are all about at Invest on Main Street. Um, Patrick's got a book. He's got tons and tons of free resources on his website. So we're going to post links to all of that in the show notes to make it easy for you to find. So without further ado, let's drop in with Patrick Grimes of Invest on Main Street. All right. Hey, what's up, Pat, the Freedom listeners? And thank you so much for dropping into another episode. Today, I'm joined by Patrick Grimes. Patrick is the founder and CEO of Invest on Main Street. Um, and I won't still as thunder, uh, I'll let Patrick tell you what Invest on Main Street is all about, but something that's right up my alley, you know, my my longtime listeners know that I'm big on, you know, diversification, multiple streams of income. You hear me talk all the time that, you know, while business ownership can be a great way to take more control of your livelihood, it's not passive, not in the slightest. And and if you're building your business the right way, hopefully it can become more passive over time, but it's not, you know, a true passive investment. So, you know, I think that you know anyone who's really serious about building wealth and ultimately creating true freedom for themselves, you know, needs to be educating themselves on different types of passive investments, and and that's what Patrick and his team at Invest on Main Street are all about. So, with that, Patrick, really appreciate you making time to drop in here to the Path to Freedom podcast. How are you today?
1: Happy to be here, Wes. I'm excited about it. It's obviously a topic that has been a guiding light for me is trying to get into that, that passive passive income and, and freedom on the other side of it.
0: Yeah so so give the the listeners kind of the quick overview of invest on Main Street. you know what does your firm specialize in who do you work with um, and and how do you help your clients create passive income?
1: Sure. So, Invest on Main Street is a private equity firm. It just means that we help investors uh, provide investments that uh, can help accelerate their retirement and grow their retirement, so that while they're retiring, to live basically the life of their dreams and leave a legacy, inheritance to their children. Alternative investments is our focus outside of the stock market. And most of the Unfortunately, most individuals in corporate America are only educated about 401ks and IRAs, and we focus to provide those real assets that provide for inflation hedging, protection from interest rates, cash flow, and net worth growth. We do mostly multifamily apartment buildings with large apartment communities and also diversified energy portfolios. Both both essential needs provide for amazing tax advantages and opportunity to uh, build wealth.
0: Yeah, it's, it's really interesting, and and I look forward to you know kind of unpacking both of those investment categories with you a little bit more. But, um, you know, it's so true when you say that that the vast majority of people out there, you know, when it comes to investing, it's really, you know, the stock market, and and even with that, it's primarily through investing into retirement funds, where, you know, you really have little control over what happens to the money once you've invested it and there's so many things that those investments are tied to um you know like we're recording this in february 2023 right there's inflation we're hearing you know depending on who who you're listening to we're in a recession we're coming up on a recession like you know i'm sure there's a lot of people out there really really concerned about you know the value of their 401k's and and iras and there's really nothing they can can do at this point. So, you know, how did you get to the point where, you know, you have your own private equity firm and you're specializing in these types of alternative investments because I know from chatting with you a little bit before recording you have an interesting background and, you know, maybe not the the type of background that a lot of private equity guys out there have.
1: Yeah, well, I started out, you know, my you know not not wealthy, that's for sure. I worked my way into college and through college, got a mechanical engineering degree, um, went did machine design, automation and robotics. And I did well at it. I enjoy it. Even to this day, I miss it to some degree. Mm-hmm. The, the owner of the company that I was working with early on said, Hey, you know, what? I, I make my money in high tech, but I don't invest it there. I invest it all in real estate. I've mm-hmm. never, I says put as much as you can, as soon as you can in real estate. And so I did, but I was, I was young and ambitious, and I dumped it all into some more higher-risky investments, did some pre-development, uh, personally guaranteed, and then rode that down through 9, 10, 11. Ooh, so I, I yeah. burned pretty hard. Yeah. Circled back into my career, got a master's in engineering and business administration, uh, went into more high-tech robotics and medical device and aerospace and uh, EV vehicles, did, did did some really cool stuff, started making some money again. And I started dumping it into less risky recession, resilient markets, assets, single family homes that are existing, but just run down and needed fixing up. So I could get in there fix it up, pull out my capital and do it again and hold. And so I did that moonlighting for a lot of years. I mean, I have some articles in Forbes about the struggles of single family versus large syndicated multifamily. Because it was in the asset protection challenges along the way, trying to hang on to your wealth. So I uh, I made it into the single family. Then I finally traded up to larger apartment buildings and then diversified into energy. And it wasn't until I made those leaps that I was able to not only get income freedom, but I was able to get time freedom. It was trading up to bigger assets and, and 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 syndicating and working with other passive investors along the way.
0: So can you kind of walk us through cuz you you talked a little bit about you know some of the early real estate investing you did it was riskier you know you had these personal guarantees sounds like timing was just not great either you know if if that was you know kind mm-hmm. of pre 2008 2009 that you were were starting to make some of these investments but you know what was it about those investments that were riskier than some of the investments that you started getting into um you know, call it your your second time around after you'd learned some tough lessons?
1: Well, so I learned to buy cash flowing assets, first of all, and okay. not speculate, try to double, triple my money every year to um, like you can do in a pre-development type setting. I learned to buy assets that cash flow that have nearby comparables that are currently producing. Even in the energy space, we're not doing highly speculative drill in the middle of nowhere wildcat and hope we're drilling in known proven places with proven reserves nearby adjacent producing wells and you know we're essentially farming areas like that and so both real estate and diversified energy funds I focus on that cash flow play measurable improvement value add kind of strategy uh which was a combination of both doing that uh uh for cash flow, but also making sure I'm doing it in the right locations which have resilience. And so just like in uh, some markets like Vegas and Florida, Tucson, Phoenix, they had outsized proportion of their employment mm-hmm. in their industries and recession res- affected um, businesses and verticals. So other, con- other places like Houston and Dallas had a diverse amount of employment, mm-hmm. but Those employers who are really paying your rents, those are ones that are somewhat insulated. Education, energy, finance, the um, uh, military, healthcare, these all tend to have some insulation from the ebbs and flows. And so when you invest in those kinds of areas, like in Houston, for example, the market went up and eight, nine and 10, it actually leveled off and started going up again. Whereas some other markets like the Vegas' and the Tucsons and the California's, they took anywhere from six to twelve years to just break even again. Yeah. So if you do it in the right spot, then and you've got the right kind of asset classes that are resilient in cash flow, you can ride out a downturn and be the tortoise, not the hare, but it takes a lot, it's a lot harder to come back from nothing again.
0: <laughs> so that I believe. That I believe. Mm-hmm. So so let's talk about different different asset classes, you know, with with the real estate. So it sounds like you you kind of started back with single family um you know now you're doing a lot of multifamily. So, you know, why is it that that you gravitate towards the multifamily and and also, you know, if, if you could kind of share a little bit of what that evolution looked like for you cuz I think a lot of people out there that have have you know, done any research on real estate investing, realize there's a lot of benefits to multifamily. But I think it's also intimidating for a lot of people because, you know, they're envisioning, hey, I've got to have, you know, the the funds to go out and buy a small apartment complex or, you know, even a triplex or something like that. So how did you, you know, kind of start leveling up from doing some of the single family home investing, which I think is where a lot of people start? um, you know, when they first get into real estate investing and, and graduate into some of the larger multifamily investments?
1: Well, I think the conversation is similar from a real estate and, a, and an energy, uh, there's okay. an energy. It's, it's a lot of people are really good at something. Maybe they're really good at high tech. Like I was, maybe they're really good at law, being a doctor or an entrepreneur and creating franchises. And when you're really good at something you're really badass at something you tend to get really over indexed in that one thing yeah right yeah but you spent a career getting really good at it and you think to yourself like I did oh you know what I'm so good at high tech I can also be an expert at real estate forget all these people that have decades of experience and relationships and stuff to support them being successful I can do it myself. Mm-hmm. What I did was I traded all my time away for my family, friends, and hobbies for that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I chose an asset class, which was single family that I could control because I'm used to controlling and being the top dog and doing, you know, in my, and I, but the reality is not only was I subtracting time away from my family, friends, and hobbies for this, I was also subtracting time away from the cash locale that gave me the opportunity to invest to begin with. Great point. into assets, which not only I didn't have the ability to get the best deals because I hadn't been in the space for a dozen de- decades or know how to I analyze the deals or manage the deals or renovate the deals. And then even their same kind of debt products, that, but also I was putting my own name on those deals, putting my own name on the title of the properties, which allows people to find my assets putting my name on the debt for those properties, which puts all my cross collateralizes my, all of my net worth into these. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, as you scaled it, it got worse and worse and worse and more and more risky. And, and then I realized trading up to larger multifamily apartments, uh, 80 units plus, not only, and partnering with other people that know how to find the better deals uh, and have been in the space longer allowed me to free up my time from having to do all these different things I'm not good at to maybe one or two things that I'm passionate about. Give my time with my family, friends, and hobbies back. I was able to focus on my cash flow job, but to direct it towards better markets that are not nearby me, landlord-friendly growth markets that are legislative friendly and mm-hmm. the people that have bring in other people that bang on doors in those markets that know how to that know how to carry properties forward. And to be able to hire on-site property management. So I'm not getting the one uh, tenant toilet and trash calls you know, in the middle of the night. Scaling actually brought the freedom. Scaling brought the expertise. Scaling brought the, the entity that I can put the property in to protect me from liability. It brought the debt product that's collateralized by the property itself mm-hmm. instead of me personally, so that I now and every one of my investments, all my passive investors, each time they invest, that's its own island. It's protected from them. You're protected from it. And all their investments are protected from each other. And so when you scale into more sophisticated and you partner up, which I should have done much earlier, <laughs> that's when things really started to get out of control for me in a good way. They started to get into control, I mean, in a good way. <laughs> sure. and, yeah, and the same thing on the energy side. People trying to get out there and do it themselves. Meanwhile, you can place investments with people with decades of experience, third generation guys that know what they're doing. And it's a rinse and repeat model for them. And you can get better tax advantages, better cash flow, and a sure bet on the upside while going and enjoying your job, making cash flow, enjoying your family and enjoying your retirement.
0: Isn't it funny how that works? Because it's it's sometimes almost, you know, feels for me, I've struggled with this, at least it almost feels like you're being lazy, right? By really going about it the smarter way and, and, you know, working with experts and people that have far more, Mm -hmm. um, you know, experience in something than you do. And, you know, I think sometimes people lose sight of that, right? The whole reason, you know, most people would tell you they want to, you know, have multiple income streams and, you know, make passive investments. So they have more control of their time to do the things that they love. Um, you know, we see this when you talk about you know scaling and and that ultimately leading to simplicity and more freedom of time. You see this with people building businesses all the time. Uh, mm. you know, so many business owners they they structure the business so that every single decision that has to be made, every aspect of the business revolves around them. And they really end up becoming a slave to their business where you know if they can scale you know and bring in people that they can delegate to and build out teams and set up really good systems and processes that's where the freedom you know can really come from and you typically get better financial results as well cuz the business can grow bigger it can generate mm. more more income so it sounds like you learned some of these same lessons on the investing side uh with real estate and and then eventually into some of the energy investments so so it sounds like for you, making that leap from single family to, to multifamily was doing it through partnerships or syndications where you're investing with people that had a lot more experience, better connections, et cetera. And and that's how you were able to to really go about that.
1: Yeah, a couple of things. I really love what you're saying because it's so true. I mean, I have my book out, which I'd be happy to offer your audience as a free gift Persistence, Pivots, and Game Changers. It talks about how I struggled through high tech, struggled to control it, struggled to lost it, and then got it back and then learned how to do it right and then started running that running these syndications. It gave me not only what you were saying, that time freedom um, and the financial freedom, but you know what it also gave us is location freedom. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. something that that you should not be looked at lightly i'll tell you why because my wife she does feature-length animated films pretty produ- as she produces for like disney dreamworks and nickelodeon oh, wow! And, very cool yeah and during COVID, everybody for the first time ever got sent home and then all of a sudden here we are working in our house together in it's a cute little place we were happy there but then everything shut down and yeah. she came out one day and goes So I was talking to, you know, my coworkers and they were saying we should move to Hawaii. And then I realized the life that we had, that I had structured allowed me to just pick up and move. And she all of a sudden became remote Uh, two and a half weeks later had us on a plane to Hawaii. Isn't
0: that a beautiful thing?
1: I think we were managing like 200 million in, uh, in real estate at that time. And now we're over 500, 600 million and 200, we have partnered on 200 million and uh, natural gas and oil investments but but the reality is that that by partnering and structuring your your business differently allows for that ability and of course i was red eyeing back and forth on the lay flat seas hawaiian air to like houston and to florida but but sure. i was landing back in hawaii you know That's it was right. pretty pretty magical uh, we just and it wasn't until we had a, uh, our baby boy that we decided to move back closer to family so
0: yeah, I mean, to have that freedom and flexibility to, you know, even if it's not a permanent move, right, but be able to say, hey, we want to change up the scenery and go, you know, live in Hawaii for three months or, you know, we want to go you know, <laughs> rent rent an RV and, and you know, travel the United States. and And if you have your investments, businesses, if you own businesses, if you have that structured right. You know, you should have the the freedom and flexibility to do that. And and in some cases you can really work that to your advantage as well, where um, you know, you could relocate to somewhere where, you know, there's no state income tax or you're you're still faring much better from, you know, a taxation standpoint. There's there's a lot of kind of strategic moves that could also come with more of that freedom, uh, you know, to operate from wherever you want to be. So yeah, that's a really, really interesting point and, and super cool that you guys were able to go spend a couple of years in Hawaii.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was great. And I think your other comment, you know, the bag, I kind of, I kind of disrupted for a fun little story there, but it is true that we, um, built out systems to be able to scale in real estate. But again, I'm that guy that, did real estate once and saw that all the assets in real estate had challenges. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're in multifamily workforce housing; it's the lowest risk one, I'd say, of the bunch. Twenty to fifty-year-old workforce housing in recession resilient markets with really low debt, so we're cash flowing can ride out, you know, a market with reserves. These are pretty much built like a tank, and, if, and every single deck I said can, you know, designed around, uh, an- analyze and underwritten around surviving another downturn like two thousand eight. But, but it's still, it's one asset class. And I just got done speaking in front of 700 people in Houston this last weekend, multifamily investor network saying, look, that's still one correlated asset. In times like today, in all of real estate, regardless of how many different types you're in, it makes sense to not only be in an alternative asset like real estate, but also something else that doesn't rise and fall with the stock market, that doesn't rise and fall with real estate, like diversified energy. It's not, it's not an essential, need. it's an essential need Housing, food, and energy. Mm-hmm. It provides for the inv- for your franchisees, for example, the investments in energy actually come off adjusted gross income They come off ordinary income, unlike in real estate. Right. Most of our investors, hundred grand, they they get thirty of it back with taxes. Right. So they're like all in at seventy, and they got over ten percent cash flow. Three equity multiples we project on these things, and we're diversified across many different states, natural gas, and oil, and You know, but that kind of we don't we don't even have plans to have debt in this fund, which means it's simply not correlated to the same things that are driving down real estate right now. And with real estate in a correction and the stock market in a crash, this is the time to be thinking, wait wait a minute, I should have always been diversified. But let me do it now because energy is an opportunity to invest in a market that's appreciating today. (laughs) And so I'd like to point that out because that's not the end all. That's one of a diversified portfolio. My passive investor guide actually shows that 25 to 50 percent of the high income earners and the ultra wealthy are in alternative investments, hmm. and
0: that's
1: real estate is a, real a sliver of that.
0: Yeah, well, it's such a good point, right? There, there's far more, you know, to these alternative investments than than just real estate. Um, you mentioned your book earlier, you mentioned your Passive Investor Guide. We'll make sure to put links in the show notes to make it easy for the listeners to find those as well as any other resources that you'd like to make available to them, but highly recommend folks checking out both the book and the the Passive Investor Guide. I was actually taking a look at that um, last night, I believe, kind of just preparing for this. If you're listening to this podcast, then there's a good chance that you're looking to create more freedom in your own life. There's also a good chance that you realize that owning your own business can be a great way to take more control of your livelihood and create more of that freedom that we're all looking for. Also, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you realize that I specialize in franchise ownership. In addition to owning franchise businesses myself, I have a franchise consulting firm, Path to Freedom, where I help people navigate what is typically an overwhelming process of understanding franchising, identifying specific franchise companies that could be a fit, and then conducting the due diligence in a thorough and efficient manner with those franchise brands. My whole purpose here is to leverage my experience working for franchisors, owning franchises myself, and how we've been able to use that to create more freedom in our lives and help you determine if that could be a path that makes sense for you as well. So if any of this sounds interesting, if you've considered business ownership in the past, whether you've explored franchising specifically or not, I'd love to connect with you. I'd love to learn more about you and what it is that you're working towards in your life and determine if I may be in a position to help. A great starting point. Is the link below in the show notes, which will take you to a short form to fill out, and you'll receive a free copy of an ebook that I've put together, The Seven Steps to Freedom Through Franchise Ownership. That'll also get us connected. And I'd love to set up an introductory call where I can explain a little bit more about the process that I use to help people. Determine if franchise ownership could be a great way to start charting their own path to freedom. So click the link below in the show notes, receive the ebook, and let's get connected. I'd love to hear from you. Um, so, so talk a little bit more about the diversified energy investments. Cause I think most people, you know, have at least a general sense of, you know, multi-family. In, uh you know real estate investing and kind of what that entails. But I know when I first got introduced to the the concept of diversified energy as an alternative investment, I didn't have a clue. I, I'm still far from an expert, but I, I have a little better understanding of what that entails. But for those that may not be familiar with it, what what exactly do you mean when you you talk about diversified energy investments?
1: Yeah, well, so diversified energy is that actually the way we describe our fund because it's so it's, it's not proliferate. In fact, there okay. aren't any others uh, out that I'm aware of that are even close to doing what we're doing. And it's not that we're doing something new. It's like we're just doing lots of something that's old. And traditionally, natural gas and oil drilling does have a bad rap. Uh, it has a bad rap because... People would be drilling out in the middle of nowhere, trying to get 100x returns, and ultimately they would lose all their investors' capital. Um, but we don't do that. We're we're drilling like in real estate. We're going to build. We're going to build somewhere where there's nearby uh, buildings that are have value and are producing income. We're going to build on a pad that's known, proven market, right? In real estate and oil and gas, we're purchasing leases where there are adjacent analogous wells producing. We have 3D seismic to tell us how far down to go to find it. And we don't just do one vertical well, we do a vertical well that then goes horizontal. We'll go one or two miles in that zone. So it's much, since we're doing it that way, it's much higher likelihood of being successful. Now, that is how we buy proven secured assets, right? And we drill, but we also do it at scale. And Which is very unique because pretty much every other operator that I know of that provides an oil and gas investment puts you in one well, maybe two well, three max maybe, and then that's it. You only have a piece of the cash flow of that well. You actually don't have any ownership over the lease. Right,
0: right, right. right.
1: You don't have any ownership over this. Well, we're going to do it at scale. We're going to get leases in lots of different places, uh, all on proven reserves. We're going to put all those leases in the fund so you actually have the secured asset. Okay. You know, normal oil yeah. and gas operators are kind of like saying analogous to a multifamily apartment. It's like, uh, this one unit, we're going to give you the cash flow of just this one unit. You now we own the building. It's mm. so like, we own the lease. You only get cash flow. From, and, and by the way, if the tenants stop paying, you lose it all. If it burns or floods or there's a blowout, you lose it all. Yeah. But if they succeed and there's cash flow, the building appreciates, Right. But then the operators in the oil and gas hold that so what we're saying is as we drill in these leases it's going to provide more cash flow to you you're going to have diversification over lots of wells and as the lease appreciates because of the proven reserves and the producing wells as well as the additional wells we find that we can drill all that gives value and that gives you an exit so you're not stuck in one well forever chance of losing it all you're you're in a situation where you're cash flowing and appreciating your net worth at the same time. We're gonna do that in lots of different places at scale, which provides geographic diversification, political diversification into the drill-friendly locations, analogous to landlord-friendly, right? And we're gonna do geologies, which allow us to drill for different hydrocarbons, which is a totally unique thing right there, too. We're gonna, to, in fact, we're gonna target oil at 50% and natural gas at 50%, which are two different commodities and actually are both very much so in demand, but not always the case. So it's good to be able to pivot between one and the other, right? And so with that scale, the secured asset, the diversification play allows you to, like in a multifamily deal, if a unit burns as a flood or a tenant stops paying, it doesn't tank the deal because you have economies of scale right? In deal, sure, we had a dry hole. Sure, we had a drill bit stuck halfway down or a well that was not operational efficient to drill. We pulled out, but nobody lost their money in that because we were doing 130 wells in our last fund and it washed out in the economies of scale. Again, not getting rich quick, like Beverly Hillbillies, Jed Clampett, (laughs) because we're paying the pipe or the reserves, but we're drilling in known spot. We're getting reasonable cash flow and appreciation. And then a 1031 exchange for to preserve legacy wealth. So that's that's really the gist of the diversified energy fund. That was a lot. Yeah, right? that's
0: no, but it it makes sense. Um, you know, you walking it through it, I guess, kind of how you know your firm is is doing it differently and and packaging it differently for your investors. So you know, this approach that you're using, where you are so diversified across you know all these different drilling sites. Does that mean that, you know, ultimately, you know, you have to raise far more capital than maybe some of the other groups out there that are, you know, not going to be as diversified where it's maybe just, you know, like you said, one, two, three max different wells or drilling sites?
1: Yeah, oftentimes the other investments are, well, we have one pad in one location. Um, We already have other wells in that location. We're going to drill one more. So it's very low risk. Well, they're also kind of still in the reserves from the adjacent wells that they sold other people, but oftentimes they're only, and because you don't own the lease, you don't get any of that, but oftentimes what they're saying is, um, they're going to drill down to a certain depth, just one vertical well, right. And then just want, raise $1 million, right. Or 2 million or $3 million to do that. But you may not get anything and you may lose it all. Right? Uh, If you go, if you do a full, full horizontal well, it may be like $10 million, but you're going one to two miles along a proven reserve area, much higher likelihood of having much more efficient and stable long-term production, right? So, but to do this safely, you not only need to do vertical wells, you need to do vertical wells in multiple different leased locations and in different geologies, so... We probably need to do 20 vertical wells or more right and so yeah we're raising my you know with my partners we're raising 200 million dollars right but we're working with operators that have been doing this for 26 years we're working with people that are fourth generation oil guys we're working with people that already are have concentration in five different basins or markets right and mm. and have a success in those areas so um yeah it takes scale to do things in a safer way than the one-off type investments long answer, but that's
0: yeah. No, 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 Great answer. So, so one of your investors wants to put money into this, they're getting access to everything across the board that you're doing from an oil and natural gas standpoint. Am I understanding that correctly?
1: Yeah. It's stand up a fund, raise the capital, execute on that three to five year timeframe. 1031 exchange for it. Once you invest, you're in all the assets, the leases, the, the wells, the production, the exit. You have everything within that fund.
0: Very cool. Um, so let's zoom out a little bit. You know, you've mentioned, you know, your investors, your your clientele. I mean, who who is I, I guess kind of your ideal client, right? Who are the types of people that are investing money with your firm?
1: Well, so I I started out raising capital from a lot of my high-tech business owners, entrepreneurs, people that I used to do one-of-a-kind machine automation and robotics stuff with. But now it's lawyers and doctors, uh, people, uh, CXOs, high-incomeers that desperately need ordinary W-2 income tax write-offs that real estate doesn't provide. And uh, essentially people that are really good at doing their thing and Mm -hmm. they make a lot of income. They wanna diversify, they wanna be passive, they wanna trade up to uh, larger assets at scale that'll get them somewhere, but they don't wanna it to take over their life. And so those are usually credited investors. That means 200,000 in income as an individual, 300,000 when combined with your spouse, and or a million in net worth, one of those right. three, but, but not including your personal residence. And our minimums are 100,000. And I've always, I've always done it that way since the beginning. And, you know, that work tracks the right kind of investors. And because we work with accredited investors allows me to talk to you right now about it. And if I wasn't working with accredited investors, I couldn't talk about my deals uh, yeah. openly. because Yeah. So it's- mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And so with the in- accredited investors, I think you said it, it's 200,000 in annual income or 300,000 for the household. If you're married, doesn't that have to be for a certain number of years in a row to based on your Tax returns or no?
1: Yeah. So on the income basis, it's for the prior two years with a reasonable expectation it will continue right,
0: two years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Or million dollar net worth, Joint. not including mm-hmm. primary residents though. So right. So you know this is not for everyone, right? There's people that are probably just not yet at a point in their you know career and their wealth building where you know a, a fund like any of yours would would be an option for them. So, you know, I guess one one question I'd love to have you speak to, because a lot of my listeners are, you know, they they fall into one of two buckets. They're either aspiring business owners, right? So they may, you know, be at some point in a corporate career, but they like the idea of owning their own business and ultimately having more control of their livelihood. Um, I have a lot of, you know, existing small business owners that, you know, are looking to grow their businesses. But, you know, just like we're talking about today, they're looking for ways to put, you know, the money that their businesses are generating for them to work in a smart, more passive way. So what advice would you have for, you know, folks listening that, you know, may not yet be at a point where they would qualify to be an accredited investor? You know, you mentioned a hundred thousand dollar minimum, which from what I've seen is pretty standard for for these types of investments. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I've seen some that are, you know, maybe fifty thousand, but I, I doubt you find anything mm-hmm. less than that. Um, so where would you recommend starting? You know, if you are looking for more passive investments. If you're not yet quite at a point where you're an accredited investor, you have $100,000 that you can invest at one time.
1: Yeah, well, I get a lot of calls. First of all, I'm happy to take those calls. You know, I get a lot of individuals with those in that situation. And they frankly will never hear from somebody like me who takes non-accredited investors because they're not allowed to openly solicit. So it takes somebody like me to get out there and talk about it. So you even know these types of investments exist and I can point you to some other people who file under more friends and family types so you can call them build a relationship and in a subsequent investment you could potentially invest but a lot of the times when people get on the phone with me they don't realize they're accredited um because you can add up I mean it, it while your capital's in your single family home it is but a lot of individuals are saying oh man I could retire next year if I could if I could invest in these passive income vehicles well you can refinance the house, right? And and as soon as the capital's out, you're all of a sudden accredited overnight. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. in fact, home equity is one of the most risky places because it's <laughs> in your own name and you can get sued and the market could crash. And so there's there's some there's some financial wealth strategies there. A lot of people don't realize that their IRA and 401ks are not trapped forever in your financial planner's <laughs> quad, right? You can yeah. actually take a piece of those, and I have an article in Forbes on this, um, invest, you know, Patrick Grimes, Forbes, and then IRA and 401k. You can take a piece right. of those like I did for my high-tech days, transfer it over to a self-directed variant, and all of a sudden where America most has most of their wealth in, the, in their home and in their retirement account, you can take a healthy piece of that. Self-directed and then start putting it into non-correlated investments or investments that are hedged against inflation and interest rate, cash flow and appreciate, even in down markets. And interesting. And so that's another option for it. The other option is a lot of people that have rental properties, as you're saying, if you look at the equity that they have, they're really, they tend to really, like I did, focus on, oh, I bought this really good deal and now it's appreciated to here. But if you look at that equity and you look, what's your cash flow? on the equity, what's your cash flow on that equity, then it's usually really low. They're like, well, I'm getting a good, I'm getting a quote, good return, which just means they bought it at this price and now they're cash flowing this month, but they're actually not putting that equity to work. In order to put that equity to work, you have to put it into something that needs fixing up. Well, Mm -hmm. if you've already fixed that thing up, then your return's going down because Mm -hmm. the longer you keep it, the lower that IRR is. And the reality is to keep, the return on your equity high, it's a job. You have to keep finding new things to to sell it, buy a new one, fix it up, sell it, buy a new one, fix it up. And that's when people just let it ride, which your IRR goes down. Now, rental properties, you can sell and use a 1031 exchange and partner with me. If you can trade a half million dollars in equity or more, into a larger apartment deal, into an emerging market that we bought at a discount, off market, that's under market rents that we can renovate and improve, build an extra building, add value, and then return your capital to you and continue to pass the flow. and you're not doing anything. You can actually trade out of a landlord, tenant toilet and trash using a 1031 exchange into a more passive position into a large apartment deal. Later on this year, go ahead.
0: I would say that I did not know that's, that's interesting.
1: So Patrick Grimes Forbes 1031. Okay. Or you can go to investonmainstreet.com slash 1031. We have a whole guide on how we structure these called tenant in commons, which allows you to sell real property in your own name and buy a percent interest in your own name of our larger assets, right? So then you're in now, now that return on equity, we're always going to have that maximized because we had a whole team of people finding those deals that you will never find a- acquisitions, guys, taking those deals down, asset managers that are constantly renovating, refining out your capital out of the 1031 and the new pe- new deals to 1031 forward. And you can certainly choose to take it away at one time, but if you, most people just stick with us, and we'll keep that return on equity high.
0: Right. So so my wife and I have a small commercial property that we own. We bought it 3 or 4 years ago um and rented it to two of our businesses that that we own. And since then our businesses have outgrown this property and we had to move to something larger which we now lease and um we're under contract to sell this commercial property. And, you know, have been thinking of doing a 1031 exchange. But our our thought was, you know, we'll just go into something else that essentially, you know, we'll own and manage. But you're saying we could 1031 exchange the proceeds from selling this property and redirect it into a fund like yours.
1: A partnership interest in a large multifamily apartment building. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. Interesting. Now later
1: on this later on this year uh one of the things that I talked about before is on the diversified energy front um we we do allow we we work to provide options congress <laughs> willing to, to 1031 exchange forward now that means we have a 1031 exchange vehicle in energy uh and what is a uh, oil and gas and what is a little known exception to the IRS like-kind exchange, which is what they require for 1031 exchanges, is that you can actually exchange real property into oil and gas interests to stimulate the production of natural gas and oil domestically. Again, if you invest where the IRS wants you to, to house, feed, and energize America, you're gonna reap amazing benefits. So in this fund that we're working to launch quarter two, three, you could actually sell rental property, commercial property, whatever it is, and 1031 exchange into a diversified oil and gas deal. But that's not currently
0: an option. Right. We're, we're mm-hmm. hoping that Congress passes a law that makes that an option. Oh,
1: no, it's an option.
0: It's an it's option. An op- okay. Yeah. I got you.
1: I, I just meant every, every four years. The people, we hear murmurings about taking away the 1031 exchange. I got you. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. never happened. It's the wealthiest people that have, it's never going to happen. And as soon as they do, there's already other vehicles that can be used, uh, deferred sales trust and stuff like that. Um, so we're never going to stop doing this. Um, but but I just said Congress willing, meaning like if somebody tries to take away the 1031 exchange. I got you. 10,
0: yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: But, no. but anyway, so the 1031 exchange is currently the case. We can currently trade into real estate. Later on this year, we're gonna have an option to trade into oil and gas deals and take your wealth from a real property and change it into oil and gas interest to balance out your portfolio. Keep in mind, if you're doing a 1031 exchange from single family, from, from anything, into one of our deals, you do not have to be an accredited investor. Mm. So you only have to be an accredited investor if you're investing not through a like-kind exchange through property. If if you're if you're doing that and you're just playing up with cash, show up the table with cash, then you need to be an accredited investor.
0: Okay. Also good to know. So that could be a way that someone who's not yet an accredited investor, um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe doesn't have the cash on hand to to make the minimum investment. But if they own you know one or two investment properties, they could get out of that and and roll into to a fund like yours. Yes. Very cool. Very yeah. cool. Um, well, this has been great. what else what else would you like the audience to know whether it's about you know your firm and and what you guys do to help your investors, how you do it differently? Um, I, I, you've got a ton of resources on your website, um, several of which have been mentioned already, um, including the book persistence pivots and game changers. So like I said, we'll link all of that, um, in the show notes, make it really easy for people to find, but are there any other specific resources you'd like to point people to, or, you know, anything else you want to make sure the listeners hear?
1: Yeah. I just recommend if, if you, you, if you if you if you think you might be an accredited investor, uh, let's have that conversation. I struggled when I first started as a robotics guy and a consulting business, and it wasn't until I realized I could value the business and add that to my net worth that I was all of yeah. a sudden accredited overnight. You yeah. know, and so people don't realize. It. And then, well, what about your car? What about the you know? There's we can you know once you talk to somebody, oftentimes they end up being credited. They don't realize it, right? right so I, i'd say that the cha- the, oppor- the opportunities here just start the conversation and see where it leads right and i a lot of people listen to podcasts and they just oh i should do that i should do. just invest on slash contact worst case you end up with a free hard copy of my amazon number one best selling book signed and sent to you <laughs> and uh happy to we provide those to as a welcome gift to to people that engage with us and I'm happy to help it contributes to especially your the entrepreneurship of your list, listeners or the type of people that I, I really like talking to. So
0: yeah, absolutely. Entertain
1: those conversations.
0: Absolutely. Well, again, we'll put all the links. So where can people go to, to get a free copy of the book if they'd like?
1: Yeah. So invest on main and then street all spelled out, invest on slash book. Got it. And uh, to set up a meeting, it's invest on mainstreet.com slash contact. And you'll see my calendar and you just book a time right on it.
0: Yeah. Well, I think your advice is spot on, right? I mean, you know, even if you aren't yet accredited, like it's never too early to start learning these things, understand, you know, because I, I, I'm sure you see it all the time, right? Where someone thinks they're not accredited, but they actually are qualified to become an accredited investor, or they're a lot closer to to being able to qualify than maybe they thought. So it's never too early to start educating yourself on, you know, the many different types of investment vehicles that are out there um, and, and establishing these types of relationships. So, um, That's great advice, Patrick. You know, if this is interesting to anyone, reach out, have a conversation with Patrick and his team. Same thing I encourage people to do with me if, if, you know, they just have a little bit of interest in franchise ownership and it's something they want to get a little better understanding of, right? It doesn't mean that, you know, you're going to end up buying a franchise in the next 12 months, but, you know, you got to start learning somewhere, right? So, Action always uh, always trumps fear, right? You know, just start start taking steps in the right direction. Um, Well, Patrick, this has been a lot of fun, man. I really enjoyed um, you know hearing from you. I learned a lot myself just from from this short you know conversation today. And um, like I said, we got this property under contract, so maybe maybe we need to talk further offline about uh, ten thirty one. Because it's look, I mean, in our area right now, there's not not any good real estate deals out there to be had, Mm -hmm. especially for someone like me that that's not my area of expertise. And I don't particularly know what I'm looking for in the first place, but um, you know, I think it's even harder times than than many to find a good deal. So um, we'll have to talk more offline about that, but uh, go check out Patrick's website, invest on main street, get a free copy of the book. And reach out to Patrick to have a free conversation today, learn whether or not maybe you're an accredited investor and check out more of the investment opportunities that he has. But Patrick, thanks so much for dropping in. I really appreciate it.
1: Great time, Wes.
0: That's a wrap. Thanks for joining me today and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. So you'll know when a new episode is released. You can also check me out on my website at www.path2frdm.com. And if you want more information about franchising or just want to say hello, feel free to contact me at Wes 2 frdmcom Thanks again. Now go drop in.